0: Hello and welcome to Zero Net 50. I'm Jennifer Deloney and with me is Joel Stronberg. Hi Joel. Hey
1: Jennifer.
0: Hey. Okay, so let's jump right in, talk about uh, Washington and the country and news outlets, domestic and international. They're all a flutter basically about Trump's national emergency on immigration to divert funding for a bo- border wall with Mexico. Uh, The lawsuits, of course, were inevitable. Trump said it himself. But I understand you saw an interesting lawsuit that our listeners would find interesting.
1: Yeah. um, The uh, national emergency is the key to all of this. And in addition to the 16 or so states that um, have already filed uh, in federal court to block it, uh, environmental groups are are doing the same. And this is something that actually has been taken up with the... uh, or by the Supreme Court before in December, they had dismissed section of the wall um, where the environmental groups were going in and saying it was interfering with the uh, uh, the migration patterns of um, animal species, a lot of animal species. It also divided up plant species that were on um, the endangered the endangered list and what have you. And, uh, it actually includes things like butterflies as well. And although the the court dismissed the case in December, um, the environmental groups to come back again. One of the problems is that the Department of Homeland Security has the ability to waive any law um, for the, uh, NEPA, the uh, National Environmental Policy Act uh, law that requires impact statements. Mm-hmm. But a new section of the law, um, a new cause of action. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, at some point the cumulative number of lawsuits about the wall, um actually kind of caused it to not to tumble down but to never get started in the first place,
0: right right, absolutely uh, well, that's uh certainly a, an interesting look at you know something that maybe even Trump didn't anticipate, so I appreciate that perspective, uh, yeah, well, you know
1: just one other thing on add too that because of the definition of you know what is an emergency, um but also because the Republicans are opposed remember Republicans opposed to this. Uh, and one of the things we're thinking is that if he, can, if Trump can get away doing this on uh, national security and, and immigration, what would prevent, uh, say, an environmental president from calling for a national emergency on climate? And so, uh, this is this is an issue that's far from over.
0: Right. Right. And uh, didn't I see an article? Didn't you send me an article about? a town, a city doing a national or, a, you know, local emergency on climate?
1: I did, actually. And um, that also seems to be a, a tendency that's going to be coming up. And that, however, is going to go to state courts for, for the most part. Right. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's reflective of the fact that um, the closer we get to that kind of 12-year mark, if you will, um, the more... Uh, anxious people are going to be and we'll see if that actually plays in to legal proceedings which are not famous for being done quickly, but it could result in a number of restraining orders, um, at least until cases are settled, which which may mean that things are better, things are worse for three or four years, depending on what the case is. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. All right,
1: well... Is this, is this going on in it, Europe as well?
0: Uh. Well, I... I mean I just today saw some interesting news coming from the International Renewable Energy Agency uh and it's it's not anything to do with necessarily an emergency but they're looking because they're always looking at renewable energy they're looking at um you know how how we're making this transition to our cleaner greener grid um and the energy systems so today in Brussels they re, they released a report Um, It's basically about the innovations that are going to transform the power sector. And I thought it was very interesting because they outlined 30 different innovations that are uh, enabling technologies uh, like market designs and business models and, and the way the system operates, uh, that they are going to be part of that uh, transition. Um, And so for example, some of them are not surprising: batteries and smart EV charging and pay-as-you-go. But there are some more cutting-edge things like, you know, super grids, which make people super anxious uh, because it messes with markets and and thus people's money. Uh, also, peer-to-peer electricity trading and you know, more cooperation uh, among the operators of the grids themselves. So it's a fascinating list. You could definitely go and look at it. <clears throat> but they also give uh, 11 solutions to how those um, innovations can be um, supported so that they are cost effective. Um, and it's more like a how-to list for making the innovations happen. But the re- more, more importantly, the report notes that you know even though we have these innovations, we also need... The policies that create those critical synergies, Um, and you had seen some interesting kafa about those policies over in Europe versus you know what we've got going on here.
1: Yeah, and in fact, the 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 idea of policies being in place to be able to kind of accommodate the new technologies is uh, is actually quite a world problem. You know, I spent time in. Central America and mm-hmm. um as much as they actually favor um renewables um, both because of the environmental uh and because of the more rapid uh applications uh, but they uh, businesses wouldn't come down there for the, for exactly the same reason that they have um that there's too much uh, insecurity about uh whether they're going to be their investments are going to be safe and whether or not policies um will be changed the mm-hmm. absence of policies. Markets um, don't like uncertainty, um, and so we're we're going to see that a lot, I think. And I think it's also one of the reasons, for example, that you know the I think I mentioned to you earlier that the deputy energy secretary um, was at the Munich Security Conference, and what he was pressing the Europeans for was to uh, buy U.S. energy supplies, energy products, obviously uh-huh. gas, oil, and coal. Right. Um and what he was what they were pitching was don't do this for us, do this because um we're better allies with you than Russia. Um mm-hmm. and that whole thing got the predictable kind of response. And you're as you're explaining it is, is far ahead of us, I think, at least in the commitment, whether or not they are in the application is another thing, but their commitment to make the conversion uh to renewables I think is pretty strong still. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I wanted to shift just a little bit and uh, take a look, uh, you know, always looking at the world stage, uh, some important things that are going to happen this year. The UN has released its roadmap to the 25th session of the Conference of Parties, which will take place in Chile in November, and some of those events, uh, for example, they're having a high-level meeting on climate and sustainable development in March, uh, and that builds on what happened in Poland for the 24th conference. Uh, basically, they they created a emissions reporting rulebook, which they thought was uh, pretty, pretty good progress, and they want to make sure they continue with that. But then they also uh, are planning their first high-level political forum on sustainable development in September. And what they expect to do there is what they're calling uh, adopting a political declaration of heads of state and government and it basically gives political guidance on how to accelerate implementation implementation of the 2030 agenda, which was adopted in 2015 right before the Paris Agreement. So, you know, that agenda outlines sustainable development goals which are meant to fulfill the, the agenda itself and that says that in 15 years, starting back in 2015, they're going to, and here's their their wish list, they're going to uh, end poverty and hunger everywhere, combat inequalities within uh, and among countries, there's a good laugh, Uh, build peaceful, just, and and, uh, inclusive societies, protect human rights, and promote gender equality, and underscore all that with lasting protection of the planet and its natural resources. And they called it, at that point, uh, an agenda of unprecedented scope and significance. And I just have to say, does any of that sound familiar?
1: You know, it it, it does, I think. And I think it sounds familiar, uh, translated into the Green New Deal. Um, Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the the big thing that's happening this year. Now that the Green New Deal is out there, people are um, hearing a lot more about these that um this one piece of legislation is supposed to solve and that's ultimately i think going be part of its problem um all uh, everything that you've just said everything that um the u n is saying is is all good and it's all right the question is can can one piece of legislation do that mm-hmm. and uh, you know in practical terms I'm not so sure that it can um no. and, and we're getting some kind of you you can see that even some of the Green New Dealers in Congress, I think, are pulling back a little bit as far as they've committed.
0: Right. Um, well, I mean, I, I think it's important to recognize, okay, we've got this, uh, we've got a lot of verbal activity about the Green New Deal. And it is, it is at no point in anything that I've seen framed in terms of what the international community is doing specific to this 2030 agenda um and in four years since the release of the agenda they're talking about a hope at this meeting in september for the release of voluntary commitments um for implementation of the sustainable development goals and there are 17 of them that meet all of those with that wish list um and i mean we're talking about volunteer make that clear and at the same time they're going to put out these political guidelines for accelerating the agenda. You know, maybe the first guideline should be that folks making those guidelines move beyond volunteerism and ratify something.
1: Well, that that's true. That's true. You know, it becomes even more complicated um, to the point that you've mentioned before about, you know, what's happening here is connected to what's happening elsewhere. Um, is that, you know, each, each day that passes, the uh, Trump administration is that much closer to actually being able to formally pull the U.S. out of the Paris Accord, um, yep. which comes up in 2020. Now that may change, obviously. But um, you know, the question I think one of the questions that still has to be answered is: Will the United States even be invited to some of these meetings? Because um, they're in they're uh, about timeframes that go beyond that 2020. Mm-hmm. And As far as the world is concerned, the U.S. isn't, isn't part of it. Um,
0: right. Right. Well, we uh, and I, I hadn't intended on getting into this, uh, but we talked last week about the, the rash of governors, who the new governors. We I think we saw four of them already this year sign on to the U.S. Climate Alliance, which is right. those those states that want to push for, uh, you know, their state meeting the Paris Agreement. Um, so there are four of them. Those are four Democratic governors that unseated Republican governors in the uh, 2018 race. So, you know, we we certainly can see that the U.S. Would, would like to participate, but whether or not the community, the international community, welcomes us is a different question all It is. And I think that um, I
1: mean, one of the things that's going to happen, I mean, as governments are doing this, um, and, you know, earlier – at the, in the polish, polish meet um sit, uh, mayors of major cities uh mm-hmm. promise committed to the same thing. Yep. So it's, a couple of things are happening. I mean one is that um I think that governors at some governors and some mayors um will be invited to these kinds of working groups um and the federal government may not be. Uh, right. And so it really kind of turns that the whole policy thing upside down. And I mean the, it's great that these that these entities, the smaller these states, cities mm-hmm. and what have you, are committing to it. But the ultimate problem is that at some point you need a uh an integrated national policy. Mm-hmm. for no other reason because companies won't know what to build to. Um right. and so you know will the will the state and uh local uh, officials be able to push through the the uh, pullback from the United States and then and then have to turn around, which they'll have to do, and to push the U.S. government, federal government, um, to actually kind of knit all these pieces together, um, right. which clearly is going to compound the problem. This time is the constraint.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting. The, the U.S. Climate Alliance makes a firm point about the governors are are governors of states that represent more more than half of the U.S. GDP. So you know, in in essence, these smaller entities are coming together as a as a bigger group of people that eventually will have a big enough voice across the U.S. that they're going to influence up the chain, and hopefully that's the voice that will be heard in the federal government.
1: Well, hopefully, um, although I think uh, among the other things that may happen in this, especially as you mentioned before, a lot of a lot of the initiatives are. Uh, accommodative of uh, environmental justice and social justice mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh, what have you. And I mean, what's going to happen is a lot of the governors, at least from my reading, uh, the, the state and local people, have actually been working on environmental, environmental and energy sustainability, but they're not really capable of doing these other things. I mean, number one, because there's I mean, so much money that a state can raise, and number two, because again, that's a function... Of the federal government, a lot of state and local funds for social programs are, in fact, federal um, funds right. that flow to the block grant program. Um, and if there are if there are divisions, political and theoretical divisions between state, local, and federal, um, the system is not going to work very well.
0: hmm Well, you know, since we're talking about the Green New Deal, y- you had noticed that there was uh, some significant silent uh, voices out there in the clean clean community that are not standing up in ways that maybe they should.
1: Uh yeah, I mean that that's a matter of opinion, I'm sure. But um yeah <laughs> that's that that's exactly right. I mean what 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 is happening now is we're seeing some of the uh presidential wannabes uh most they're all out of the Senate at the moment. Uh yeah. Klobuchar and Jared Brown kobuchar from Minnesota, Jared Brown from uh, Ohio and they're on they're now on record saying that you know they support the idea of the green new deal but they're not probably going to sign on to the resolution. Mm-hmm. um and brown was very shared brown you know i was very very specific about it his, his feeling was that look at i have i have a record that's been consistent consistently in support of the environment and i recognize climate change in my head but i shouldn't i shouldn't have to sign my name on something to prove that this that, that this is what I've been doing. Um, right. Klobuchar is the same way, and there are others certainly um, that are doing it. Markey, um I think, it's caught in something of a situation. You know, he's a he's a co-sponsor of the Senate uh, resolution, and the, uh, McConnell has already indicated that he wants to put it, the resolution on the Senate's agenda for a vote, mm-hmm. and that's making some Democrats nervous because of. I'm just not sure what the what what the support and what the vote will be um mm-hmm. the house is probably maybe a little bit more secure, but my feeling is that that uh Pelosi won't even let the resolution come up for a house vote unless okay. she's one hundred percent sure that she's got that she has the votes to win. you know she barely got the cap and trade uh legislation out the last time she was speaker, and she's very she's very gunshot about this. The other thing that's going to happen is that your your man Bernie um, is about to announce for uh, his second run at the presidential uh, nomination. Right. Let's,
0: let's be clear, my man only because I'm from Vermont.
1: Right. That, that's the other. <laughs> you're right. That's the other reason I was attributing that to you. Okay. And, good. And I apologize. I'll, no, it's all right. Um, but he's also indicated that he's going to. Submit his own, or he's going you to know, publish his own Green New Deal with yeah. more details of it. And mm-hmm. you know, I just I just finished a, a post on uh, on the site uh, called Wishes Remorse, um, talking about how the, the New Deal was was announced, and that the more details that come out, the more the op- the greater the opportunity for disagreements. And right. um, you know, we ha we we're just barely getting to the place where the the nation actually, at least enough of the nation, actually sees this as a problem that's actionable. And you know, to go all the way over to the, to the very, very, very progressive side may end up being a step too far as far as one single vehicle, one vote for the Green New Deal.
0: Right. And then as far as businesses are concerned, those, those entities that are the voice of business uh, associations, you've noticed there's some some reticence there, too,
1: I have um and especially in the solar industry that um and I think it's just because there's some meetings anything and you know, some public statements are made. but um and this is as a repeat before, usually solar and wind you know what's their ahead of it you know yep the, the crew of, uh, uh of renewables take a, a much more conservative approach, and um the solar energy industries association wasn't very committal about it, shall we say. Um and they're basically gonna step back and see uh take a wait and see what kind of attitude. Yeah. Um, wind, I'm sure, is gonna do the same thing, and we're actually even seeing some of this uh at the state and local level. There's been two cases here recently where um Enviros and the solar uh companies are, are loggerheads. Uh, one is the Georgetown University project is supposed to provide half the university's electricity through solar, but it also cut, the site that they have um, is gonna cut down 217 acres of trees. Um, So the environmental's are putting a lot of pressure on this. We've seen this before the Mojave. Um, And there's another case coming up in Baltimore, or Baltimore County, which is a very rural county, um, that the solar, the community solar projects, um, those are the projects of the user community, so um will be situated on farmlands. And again, the environmental community is saying, look, we need farmlands, I and mean, not just for food, but um we have to preserve species and, and recreation and what have you. And I think this is going to be a problem that's gonna crop up um pretty regularly actually. I mean it'll be the business side of solar and the environmental side of of more uh progressive people I think, um, who who value resources and in, in any infringement, anything that interrupts the free flow of, of critters, if you will, whether it's a border wall or a mm-hmm. solar farm, um, yeah. is is it's it's not guaranteed by any means.
0: Right. Well I mean I've been covering clean energy for a long time on in the business to business environment for journalism. And, you know, all I've ever seen is this really strong push to not necessarily come out as, as just a bunch of greenies. They want to be taken as serious business people and they want to seriously address the needs of communities and, and, and not come in and just bulldoze, uh, their environment to put up panels and wind farms. So it's a, oh. they they walk a very tricky line, and I've oh, been doing right. it for a long time.
1: And I think you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. And this is going to actually uh, end up escalating. Um, not only as more and more projects coming online, um, but also as you know, a lot of the major oil companies now are um, seeing handwriting on the wall. They're trying to diversify. Um, mm-hmm. So you're going to see a lot more business, coming up and then you also have to remember as businesses they have a different agenda for policies and they have tax credits and what have you that they want to see um and a lot of the progressives these days are seeing themselves in opposition to capitalist system and i don't mean that in the extreme sense. So, um but they don't they don't think that the private market is going to be able to bring the changes needed in time in the time that that's required. Um so you get this kind of push between private market uh incentives and um solutions and then you get the mandates of uh the thing you do is for example it says look the, I mean, the government has to have a strong hand on this and, and make uh the private sector kind of conform to what society's needs are. And mm-hmm. this too is going be this gonna be a lot of talk about this between now and the time that we vote on uh, in
0: 2020. Mm-hmm. All right. So you had mentioned your uh, article earlier. What, what did you say the title was again? Wish- well,
1: wishes, Remorse. The wishes- Green New wishes. Deal. Yeah. Wishes- uh, um, right. And, and that's at
0: civilnotion.com, right? Did you also get that onto Energy Central? I did,
1: actually.
0: Okay, good. So our listeners could find that either place. Sure. And then, you know, I, I am always, always curious what, What's on your mind? Like, what are you going to be looking at next week? What is what is Joel seeing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you probably wouldn't want to know. Right, but, right. Um, <laughs> right. but I But I've got two things up on my uh, writing board. Uh, one is i want going to go into more detail on the uh, uh, conflicts between what we just talked about, between solar companies and environmental communities. Um, and two is I was going to do an update. Uh, on legal cases, there's been some movements, um, not only in the United States but also in Europe, um, that kind of get us a little bit closer, sometimes, in, in some cases, um, to uh, to making a sustainable environment uh, an actual human right. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, that's cool. I'm I'm always. Uh, watching and we don't talk much about brexit and and what's Uh, going on on there i think maybe we touched on it a little bit but you know i'm always watching to see what's going on there right now it looks like they're going to start pushing for an extension of their end of march deadline and i think we had talked about that so that's basically what i've got my eye on and and everything else is sort of just falls underneath that as far as you know uh, what the effects of all of that change might be so that's what
1: I like uh, to watch. And, uh, the, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be significant. I mean, I, I, I saw the other day where car companies are going to be leaving the distance, Right. Um, and um, it also seems to be putting some pressure on parties. And I think one of the things we might want to follow uh, in the future is whether or not um, the breaks that are showing up in labor um, and Tories in, in England um, are ever going to get reflected in uh, conflicts within the Republican Democratic Party here in the United States for many of the same reasons.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, Joel, for your insightful take on what's happening, not just in Washington, but across the country and and around the world. I appreciate that.
1: Uh, always, it's always a pleasure to talk.
0: Wonderful. Uh, And thanks to our listeners for joining us. You can tweet us questions or comments at hashtag zero net 50 and have a great day.